from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to this is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you, hanging out Tuesday, August 18th. Well, it took all of 10, 15 minutes yesterday for Jamal Adams to impress at training camp and understand why you traded away first round picks for the All Pro Safety. We'll hear from him. He took some time to chat with Danny and Gallant yesterday in one of my favorite interviews in recent memory. What's it like to be here in Seattle? Also, his first time meeting Russell Wilson. He tells a great story about that, some familiarity with him and wanting to come to Seattle. We'll get updates from Pete Carroll. He spoke with the media yesterday as well on Jaron Reed, Puna Ford, how they're doing as well as that D-tackle position and Maybe feeling uh, the heat on some depth there. Also, Quentin Dunbar, Jordan Brooks. We've got those updates for you as well. A great first day of NBA playoffs yesterday. Wins for Denver, Toronto, Boston, and the Clippers. An ejection for Chris Depps Porzingis. That had a lot of people commenting yesterday. A lot of big names in the league commenting. It's all ahead in this hour right now. Oh, did we mention the Seeger brothers? Uh, both homering in the game yesterday. Unfortunately, a loss for the Mariners, but a huge bright spot is watching Corey and Kyle both hit home runs. Probably a huge day for their family, so uh, big ups to them. But right now, let's get to your headlines. It's a surreal feeling. Um, I'm, I'm really, you know, uh, you know, fighting for fighting for not only the playoffs, but fighting for the chip, man. And, and that's all I wanted. I wanted was all I wanted was a chance. Um, and you know. This 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 uh, organization, you can tell um, since the day I walked in that they appreciate me, and that's all I wanted, man. So I'm, I'm again, I'm happy. Jamal Adams speaking with 710 ESPN yesterday. Also had some thoughts on getting the, his hands on the ball in whichever way he. Can. I always joke with myself. I say, man, if I can't get interceptions, I might as well try to punch the ball out and, and create turnovers, man. So. Uh, whatever way, whatever way possible, I can get get my hands on the ball. That's what I'm going to do. Says he's taking a little heat for the two picks in his career, but that's why he'll punch the ball. He'll do whatever he can to get his hands on it. Uh, also had a great response to Greg Williams, defensive coordinator for the Jets, uh, insinuating that Jamal Adams might get bored in this defense because. It's not as complex as what they do over there in New York. And Jamal Adams said, well, they don't don't think he's going to get bored with winning. <laughs> man, yeah, yeah, great. G-Dub, man, he definitely misses me, man. And uh, I, I would have to say that um, a lot of them uh, miss me over there. But, man, I don't think I'm going to get bored, man, winning. So that's how I look <laughs> at it, man. So I'm going to be all right. Still classy. I love it. Adding a little more fire to the eventual matchup that will happen this year. Adams also saying his ultimate goal is to win. So worrying about those comments, those types of things, uh, that's not in his game plan. It does, but at the end of the day, everybody's entitled to their opinion, man. And, and you know, it's just the world we live in. Um, everybody feels like they know everything. And um, majority of the time, it's, you know, it, it just is what it is. You know, I, I don't let the outside noise affect me. At the end of the day, I go out there and I, I make plays and, and I do everything I can to, you know, help this team win. Um, and, and the ultimate goal is to get to the chip and win the chip. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we're, we're focused on. 
He also talked about calling his dad to say how excited he is to be here. Couldn't give too many hints on how he'll be utilized, but it's in a way that has him excited. I called my pops the other day. I called him yesterday, actually. Um, I can't give you too many too many beans, but I'm excited about a little um, package that we got um, and, you know, how they're using me. I, I, I can tell you, man, I'm, I'm just excited to be here. It's a fresh start, like you said, and um, I'm beyond happy. I'm back happy again. I'm back loving football. I'm back walking into the building and, and, and be happy to be here every day, seeing my teammates, man, it's a good feeling, man. Every day I wake up happy, and um, I'm, I'm so thankful. It's translating onto the field, impressing a lot of people out there yesterday. What's his favorite part of playing safety? Oh, that's a great question, man. I think, I think for me it's, it's, it's just setting the tone. You know what I mean? I think it's whether that's making a play on the ball or um, whether that's making that big hit to set the tone for the crowd or set the tone for the – for the rest of the game. Um, I think that that's, that, that, that's, that's kind of like what I see as my favorite part um, is playing safety. All pro Jamal Adams also on being classified as a box safety. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that, you know, I was in a, a, a great, um, you know, type of defense over there in New York. Um, you know, Greg Williams did an outstanding job. But, um, you know, over here, man, I think that I'm, they're going to they're gonna let me roam a little bit more. Um, they're gonna let me be me. Um, they're gonna they're gonna put me in positions to get my hand on a ball. Um, so I'm not classified as a box safety. You know what I mean? You can hear like the air quotes as he says it right there. Jamal Adams also speaking to Pete Carroll and his style, and actually loving the team meetings that they've been having. Oh my gosh, man! Meetings are fun. I, I kid you not. Every time I walk into the building, I'm excited because I'm gonna learn something new and and. You know, Pete, Pete does it right, man. Um, as far as walking into the team room, we got, we got um, a, a basketball hoop. We shooting hoops. We always competing, man. We're always, you know, doing something to, to you know, get better um, whether it, any, in anything. So uh, it's, always, it's always fun, man. He has a lot of jokes. A lot of the guys have a lot of jokes, a lot of presentations. Um, it's real laid back, man. But at the end of the day, we get to work, man, and that's what it's about. Love it. Also, with a story on the first time that he met Russell Wilson. Oh, man. Um, you know, the first time I met Russ had to be uh, at UCLA um, back in the summer, I want to say, uh, last summer. Um, I, met him, I met him working out, and, um, you know, a couple of the guys obviously go out there and work out. And, you know, he was one of those guys that, you know, just told me, uh, man, he had a lot of respect for me. And, um, you know, it was good to hear that from, you know, obviously um, the best quarterback in the league. I'm definitely going to ride with that. Jamal Adams also saying that he had some conversations uh, with Russell Wilson and Bobby uh, talking to him about potentially coming to Seattle. I'll never forget, you know, when we was at the Pro Bowl last year, we were signing autographs together. It was me and him in, um, in, in, the, in the room. And, uh, you know, he, he was like, man, I, man what, if, what if you come to Seattle, man? What you think? And I said, man, hold on, man. I, I don't want to say something and, and, you know, have the media catch it. So um, I said, you know, it, it would be really cool, you know, obviously, to, you know, uh, be with him and, uh, Bobby Wagner and the rest of these guys, man. I remember when Bobby, you know, said the same thing, and I never seen it coming. Never seen it coming. Love hearing from him. You should listen to the entire interview uh, at at seven ten sports dot com on the podcast tab under Danny and Gallant. 
Uh, make sure you listen to that whole thing. Also, just get you going in the morning. Better than caffeine. Pete Carroll, also an energetic person yesterday out at training camp speaking with the media and a couple of updates that are important. Um, how about the defensive tackle position? Because we have saw uh, Jaron Reed and Puna Ford be slowed down in practice. Pete Carroll with an update on Jaron Reed. Uh, yeah, Jay Reed, his knee was a little bit sore um, from the, the work. Really, we think he overworked a little bit. And um, all the, the, the tests that we did, MRIs and all that stuff, you know, was, was really clear. So um, he was back out doing walkthrough again today. Looks like he could, he could likely practice. If, he need, if we needed to play a game this week, he could play. But uh, we're going to look after him again. It's so early in camp. We need to take care of these guys, make sure that nothing lingers. Carol also talking about Sloan Puna down and Jay Reed down, uh, but they don't appear to have any serious injuries. A couple guys, uh, you know, we, we slowed down a couple guys, Puna Ford and, uh, and uh, Jay Reed. Those guys were slowed down, but they're in the walkthrough today, and they, they look like they're going to be okay. doesn't look like they're serious injuries at all. When asked about the lack of experience at D-Tackle behind Puna and Reed, Pete Carroll uh, says that's awesome. He loves the youth out oh, Isn't that awesome? Think how, think how young these guys, all these guys got all the games ahead of them. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited about uh, Brian Monet. Um, when you go back, I went back did a little special study on him this summertime, just to kind of see again, you know, and look, look going into camp, you know, what can we expect from him? He played really well in, in the in the plays he played last year. Uh, he, he he plays really stout and strong, and he is willing to run like crazy, uh, chase the football. He had two highlight plays in, our, in practice, in the pre-practice of, of viewing we showed today of just giving great effort. So Brian Monet, also DeMarcus Christmas on that list, and uh, the former sixth-round pick, Pete Carroll, saying it's important to get him reps as as well, and mentioning LJ Collier and Rasheem Green as getting some rotation sometime at 3-Tech as well as playing five. As for Chris Carson, he is good to go. Yeah, that was The doc said that all along, that he was going to be fine. He really is is in tip-top shape, and, and uh, he had a real difficult family uh, uh, issue that they had to deal with, and, and um, so we, we needed to give him all the time he needed. Uh, so, um, but he, he looked great yesterday, and the couple, you know, couple looks we had of him, he's really explosive, and you know, everybody was really fired up to get Chris back out there. Also mentioning LJ Collier ready to go this year and came in in better shape. Yeah, it's a good, it's, this is a good guy to talk about. Um, he looks different. He just looks different. You know, I think, and I talked to him yesterday about this, coming off the draft year and, and you know, all of the confusion, all of the, the distractions, that, and he, he probably not in his best shape. He isn't because I see it now. And then he goes to camp and he gets banged up, has a nasty injury, doesn't, doesn't even get started at all. Now, to see him now, he looks like a different guy. He, he's quicker, he's explosive, he's in great shape, and he's battling. And so he, he just... It was just he wasn't ready last time around uh, getting into camp, getting hurt. We never did get a chance to find out. Getting production out of him could certainly help their pass rush woes. We'll discuss more later in this hour, including uh, the friendly competition going on between Ben Simeo and Bruce Irvin. I love it. Up next on the Blitz, though, speaking of friendly competition between uh, this time two brothers, Corey and Kyle Seeger had one going on. Yesterday during the ends game, unfortunately, the Mariners ended up falling short. But what a cool moment for Corey and Kyle Seeger, both going deep in that game. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seahawks training camp coverage all day long. This is the Blitz powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Chris alongside with you. Tuesday, August 18th, there was some California love going on yesterday, some brotherly love. 
for the Seeger brothers, Corey and Kyle, able to take the field for the first time in their professional careers against one another. Huge moment for the two of them. Happy, excited. Uh, it was fun to watch them in those little moments, whether it was uh, when Corey was on third base and Kyle uh, playing in the field, them just having those little conversations. What a cool moment for their parents yesterday. And unfortunately, because of no fans in the stadium, COVID-19, they weren't be able to be there in person. And uh, Kyle Seeger even mentioned that yesterday in their press conference, did a joint press conference together, but what this moment would be like for both of their parents. It'd be tough, I think, for, for them. It's a really cool moment, but at the same time, you know, this is, they've playing, you know, when you come out to spring training, when to do a lot of different things around this this type of game, and you know, for this season kind of being what it is, and you know, not allowing fans to be here, I think it's definitely you know going to be hard for you know not only them but you know our whole family. So this is a you know this is definitely a pretty cool moment for us, and you know we certainly wish it was you know under uh, different circumstances. The Dodgers ended up rallying four and eleven nine victory last night. Corey and Kyle Seager became the first siblings in nineteen years to homer as opponents in the same game. It was the tenth time, if you'll believe it, in Major League history that opposing brothers went deep in a game. The last time was June seventh, two thousand one, when the Crespos did it in San Francisco. Uh, but pretty cool. Now the Seagers added to that list. Corey Seager also having two hits and three RBI yesterday. Kyle Seager, three hits and three RBI. A little friendly competition going on. Corey's brother started things off with an RBI single in the top of the first. Austin Nola added an RBI single of his own to help the M's jump out to a 2-0 lead. But a lot of struggles for starting pitching yesterday. Neither starting pitcher made it to the fourth inning. Justin Dunn went a season-low two innings after tossing six in his August 10 win at Texas. Dunn, though, was tagged in the ribs by a Corey Seager lineout in the bottom of the first. Here's the pitch, one on line drive, right back at Dunn, and he makes the catch. I think it hit off his chest, and he corrals the ball in his glove, and Dunn goes to his knees into a squat, looking like a catcher off to the left side of the mound as Corey Seager hit a line drive right back at him. I think it hit him in the chest, and then he caught it with his glove after it hit him. That play followed a leadoff home run by Mookie Betts, and Dunn didn't see the third after giving up six runs and five hits, including two home runs. Uh, There was an incredible play that happened, though. Uh, Seattle right fielder Dylan Moore made a big throw to get Jock Peterson at home on Betts' bases-loaded single in the bottom of the second. pitch on the way, swing, and a fly ball into shallow right field. That's going to drop in a base hit. Muncy will score. Peterson is rounding third, heading home. The throw to the plate, down with a tag, Nola, and out at home is Jack Peterson, and there is two outs in the inning. What a throw by Dylan Moore. We had to hesitate because I was waiting for the call by home plate umpire Quinn Wolcott, who made sure that Nola hung on to the ball after the tag, but Muncie will score on a base hit by Mookie Betts. One run in, and the Dodgers now lead it 3-2. to two. Still in the in the same frame, the younger Seager went deep with a three-run home run. But those starting pitching struggles, they weren't reserved just for the Mariners yesterday. Dodgers starter Ross Stripling struggled for the second straight outing. He allowed three home runs and seven runs in three innings, including one for Kyle Lewis, a two-run home run in the top of the third. Stripling doesn't look at the runner pitch. Fastball swung on, sent to deep center field. Going back, going back, looking up. There it goes, a two-run homer for Kyle Lewis. Bellinger gave up as that baby went over his head, a two-run shot. And Kyle Lewis, the two-run homer, makes it a 6-4 ball game. 
And then Kyle Seeger had to complete uh, the Seeger's big night in the top of the third with a home run of his own. Here's Kyle Seeger swinging a drive. Center field going back. Bellinger on the track. Look it up. And there it goes. Home run for Kyle Seeger. We got a 6-5 ball game. Pretty cool to hear them speak in their press conference, too, about uh, they always are rooting for one another. Kyle saying that he always keeps tab on his brother and is rooting for him. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's my brother. So we're, we're obviously, um, you know, as competitive as you want to be, we're, we're still rooting for each other. So, I mean, you know, I, I love looking at the box score and seeing him, you know, have good games, you know, like yesterday. So, I mean, this is, it's a, um, you know, obviously we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, compete with each other, but, you know, at the same time we're rooting for each other. So, you know, off season, everything that goes, I mean, we're um, obviously rooting for my brother. Corey uh, asked who is the better player you know there's there's always a little bit of rivalry you know we 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 have our little home run bets or double bets you know he pretty much wins homers every year and I pretty much win doubles every year so (laughs) I think it comes out to be pretty fair bets uh, across the board he's also beat me pretty badly in the uh, postseason numbers (laughs) so that's something that he's he's uh, he's got an edge on me there too not without the jokes yesterday, but really cool moment. Congrats to both of them. It was fun to watch, and uh, we'll get to see it again as the Mariners face off with the Dodgers today. Also, huge congrats to Evan White. He had two home runs in that game yesterday. The teams combined for seven long balls, so certainly a part of the game yesterday. Unfortunately, the Mariners' bullpen uh, failing late in that game. But up next, it will be lefty Marco Gonzalez looking to bounce back after taking the loss at Texas on August 11th. Coming up on The Blitz, we get Jake Heap's training camp takeaways thus far. Jamal Adams impressing yesterday. Also, we get to hear from Uncle Will, Billy Bozeman, Will Disley sitting down with Bob David Moore. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seahawks training camp coverage all day long. This is The Blitz, powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, August 18th. Seahawks 2 at eggs coverage continues right here on 710 ESPN Seattle later today. But getting you caught up on all the things that have happened at training camp thus far, we'll hear from Jake Heaps in just a moment. But first, we want to hear from Uncle Will, Billy Bozeman himself, former UW standout Will Disley. He took some time to chat with Bob, Dave, and more about rehabbing from his injury and his resolve for this season. It's Bob, Dave, and more. And right now we're joined by tight end Will Disley, also known as Uncle Will. Will, how you doing, man? It's good to be back. It's good to hear you guys' voice, man. Be on the radio. Feels like football is right around the corner. Things are good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, kind of a weird offseason for sure. But uh, I want to talk about your resolve, man. I'll tell you what. You know, you came off of that patellar tendon injury your your rookie year, and, you know, that's a tough one to come back, and you worked your tail off. And, and then last year, after, you know, your the sixth game, you end up tearing your Achilles. And I was talking to you down on the field, and I was going, man, how, how do you get through this? To, was that just a, easy for you because you love football so much? You're like, hey, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. Was there like a grieving period? Kind of take us through what your thoughts were after that second injury in Cleveland. Yeah, sure. You know, came back from the first injury and, you know, was super excited to get back with the team and we were winning games and, you know, things were high and then, you know, another flip deal and you go down and things are real low. And, but I think, you know, I'm just, I'm really blessed, man. I I have a ton of friends to lean on and and family in the sport of Seattle. And, you know, my teammates really picked me up this time. I think, uh, 
you know, it's kind of interesting. Everyone was like, oh, you know how to do it. You've already done it before, so this will just be a cakewalk. You're, you already know how to do it. And I think that was true. You know, obviously going through the first rehab, I was, you know, kind of knew what to expect. I knew that there was going to be lows and the healing process was so important and, and the plateau of rehab and, and grinding through those days and then, you know, clicking into second gear and finishing and getting ready for a season. So I knew all those things were coming, but you still had to go through them and, and manage your emotions. And, and the one thing, you know, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about is this, you know, I was down for a few days, man, but, you know, I was able to talk about it. I was able to, uh, you know, tell friends and tell my teammates, man, hey, I'm, I'm in down in the dumps right now. And, and they really brought me up. I think, you know, that's something that was really cool, something special about this program. And, you know, it, it, it definitely gives me a lot of confidence moving forward in the relationships I've built. And, you know, it wasn't easier the second time, but, you know, we're back and we're rolling. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, Will, and you're such a great kid. I imagine if it were me, I'd be just saying, why me? Why me? Why me? I mean, how much of that went through your mind? Yeah, no, definitely a little bit. You know, you kind of, you know, I felt so prepared going into that second year off the knee injury. Felt like my knee was really strong and we were running, you know, a ton of routes and was cutting really well. Honestly, you know, like I was saying, if you go back to interviews, I was cutting almost more efficiently than I was, you know, prior to injury. So I was, you know, had a ton of confidence and then to just kind of have a fluke deal happen with the Achilles. I think anyone who's ever had an Achilles injury kind of knows their fluke deal, but I've always been a what's next kind of mindset and like the past has happened and, and you can't change that, right? It's, it's, it's happened and we, we know it happened, but we have to move forward and what can we control? And that was kind of the mindset we, that I took was, okay, I've gone down for a second time. You know, what can I control? How do I get as healthy as possible? Not just, not just to play football again, just for, for me to be a normal human being and not have this, this reoccurring issue. And so first thing was surgery. You know, I researched everything that I could on the best surgeons. And fortunately, we had a great guy with the Seahawks. And then it was rehab. And, and then we were off and running. So, you know, I got with a few mental coaches, you know, you know, just to list a few. I mean, Mike Gervais here in the building and then Trevor Moad. Russell's uh, mental coach got with me and just to talk with them about telling your story and, and how you want it to go and then believing in that and taking steps to achieve that, you know, was, was really helpful. And, you know, if there's one thing I believe in, it's you, your mind is so powerful. And so when I went down, you know, I truly believed I was coming back. I was like, I believe it. I'm going to work hard and it's going to happen. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen every time, but if I believe that it's going to be more likely than not. And so, you know, I chose to just kind of control what I could control and chip away at the days. Good to hear from uncle. Will. Will Disley full interview available for you. 710sports.com. Also yesterday on Tom, Jake and Stacy, Jake keeps our own who has been watching practice faithfully uh, with his training camp takeaways thus far. Guys that we should get to here. You want to start with, like, Marquise Blair? You want to start with DK? Tell me how DK is looking. Uh, DK, he looked great. I mean, you talk about wanting to see the jump from year one to year two. I, I believe you see that. I mean, you saw uh, a couple times there in, in Skelly red zone period that they were working and, and DK just being moved in a bunch of different areas and, and him and Russell just have an extremely – uh, smooth connection, and you just see some of the things that they're asking DK to do, and it, it's a step above. It's not just, hey, run uh, route A that you see on paper. These are intricate routes that require seeing coverage, reading coverage, reading leverage, and then making a decision based off of that, and him and Russell were, were on the same page there. So that, that was one thing that I was truly excited to see out there in practice. One, seeing that DK can – 
can do that and grow his game, and, and secondly, that the coaching staff is putting him in those positions. How did Jamal Adams look? I'm very curious. Well, Jamal Adams, he is a guy that brings energy. He is a guy that brings confidence. You can see it on the field. You can see how much fun that they're having out there. Quandre Diggs, Shaquille Griffin, uh, Trey Flowers was out there instead of Quentin Dunbar. I believe they're trying to give Quentin Dunbar as much time uh, as possible to get Mm -hmm. back into shape and ready to go with everything that he's dealt with. But Jamal Adams is the real deal. He looks the part. He plays the part. Um, and he intercepted Russell Wilson, uh, and, and they used him in, in kind of a buzz alignment, meaning that he wasn't joint, jumping to the flat, but that he was uh, sitting in the hook to curl, and, and he read it perfectly, and Russell uh, tried to throw it over the top of him, and he made an athletic play to go up and, and high point the ball. And my favorite part was that he, he didn't just intercept it and make the catch really smoothly. He took it to the house. He, he ran from one sideline to the other uh, and, and took it to the house, and, and just that athleticism, that playmaking ability, you can just see it uh, you know, very, very clearly as you watch him. There's not, You don't have to be on the field too long to notice Jamal Adams' presence. The hook to curl, should I even ask? Uh, no, um, no, let's, let's not ask yet. It, we'll it's, get back it's to really, that it's really right where the seam area is on the field, uh, that you're, you're trying to run four verticals. You got the two <laughs> not, inside guys running seams you're not in the hook to curl area. And that's exactly where I Jamal Adams was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can't do this anymore. I believe in you. Uh, yeah. How about the matchups, the O-linemen going up against the D-linemen? And by the way, speaking of O-line. What's up with B.J. Finney? I heard he might have gone down and popped back up. Is he all right? Yeah, he's okay. Uh, it, it looked like the, it was a serious injury. The trainers were attending to him, uh, but he was able to get himself right back into action. He actually jumped right back into team, and he jumped right back into one-on-ones there for, for a couple reps, and he looked just fine. So that, I think that's positive. They're definitely counting on him to be a guy that I, I believe is going to be in that starting rotation, of course, but I, I really think that he's going to be the, the center of this team, and, and so you don't want to see a significant injury happen to him with how much he brings to the table, not just physically, but with, with his mental ability. And in one-on-ones, guys, it was it was interesting that the, the veterans, they didn't go hardly at all. You didn't see Mikey Potty. You didn't see Dwayne Brown. Uh, you saw a couple reps from B.J. Finney. He did fine. Uh, Damian Lewis, he had a rep against uh, L.J. Collier and, and, and put him on the ground. Uh, so a successful rep for... He put Collier on the ground? He put Collier on the ground. Um, and uh, and then and then Brandon Shell went a couple reps against Benson Mayoa. And Benson Mayoa uh, looked extremely fast coming off the edge. And, and Shell, he had a good initial pop. He's a Big, big guy. He had a good initial pop, uh, but just couldn't hang with uh, Mayoa. And, and so that's something to keep an eye on as I'll keep watching it over the week is does he have the lateral quickness uh, to be able to keep up with the pass rush in Brandon Shell? But uh, Benson Mayoa had two really, really good reps against uh, Brandon Shell there. Sticking with this same topic, we mentioned in our last segment that we were seeing some tweets on our timelines that Jordan Brooks, Seahawks first-round pick rookie, was not in pads and not practicing. I promised listeners I would ask you about it. So obviously, we don't know definitively what's wrong with him. You didn't get out there. 
put hands on him, check him out. But how did he look from your point of view? Well, just from my point of view, just him standing on the sideline, you can just see the difference in what a linebacker is is typically supposed to look like. Cody Barton is a guy who he has to work extremely hard to put the weight on that he has. He's fast, he's smart, runs sideline to sideline, but he isn't built with stopping power. When you look at Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner, they are built kind of from the same cloth. And... That is one of the reasons why they drafted him. Um, but he has, you could just tell from his legs, uh, you know, on through his uh, posterior chain there, Tom, that uh, he he just has unbelievable stopping power. And I can't wait to see him actually run around in pads uh, because, you know, the team speed already looks really good. Were you able to see like a wrap or anything on his leg or arm? Or, I mean, did you see no, anything? No, there wasn't okay. anything significant going on, uh, you know, so it doesn't look like it's too serious. Serious, okay. you know. I, I, you know, just speculating, which I don't like to do. I, I would think that it's a, it's low grade soft tissue, just you know, something minor that they want to keep him out for a day. Because usually you do see some sort of wrap. You do see something if it's if it's any prolonged period of time. That was Jake Heaps with his takeaways on Tom Jake and Stacy. Remember our coverage. Two a day's coverage continues today on seven ten ESPN Seattle. So keep it here. Up next on the Blitz, it is time for the hot list. We got the first day of the NBA playoffs yesterday and did not disappoint. Also a controversial call and ejection later in the day had some people, including LeBron James, sounding off. It's next in the hot list right here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Seahawks training camp coverage all day long. This is the Blitz, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for the Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6:45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! We got the first four games of the NBA playoffs yesterday. It was fun. Starting at 1030 uh, here in the Pacific Northwest to be able to watch basketball all day. Denver beat Utah 135-125 to kick off things. Donovan Mitchell had 57 points for the Jazz in the loss. You know, I told the guys in the locker room, look, we could lose by 60, we could lose by one. We lost by 10 tonight. Um, What's game one? You know, one loss. You know, it counts the same. It's not, it's not no different. And I think, you know, obviously... You know, it's, it's tough to lose the first game, but now we kind of see how, what their approach is, and obviously they see ours, but there are a lot of things that we can control. I, I kind of put a little bit on myself for the eight-second violation, and then they come down and hit a three, and that really changed the entire, the entire game, that sequence right there. So there's little things that we can control and fix, but at the end of the day, we're not overreacting. Uh, it's one game. Um, we got to go back out there and get ready for game two. Jamal Murray had 36 points for the Nuggets, and head coach Mike Malone certainly impressed with his energy. Uh, next up, Toronto handling Brooklyn, 134-110. And maybe my favorite part of that game was the introductions for the Toronto players, which they had family and friends do them. And I think Kyle Lowry, his kids, took the cake on that one. And then to see Kyle's face afterwards, man, can we just keep that going forever? I loved that moment. So big ups to the Raptors. I've seen it done a little bit in Major League Baseball as well. I know the Nationals had uh, some messages from family incorporated into the broadcast, and I've just loved to see that. 
Boston edged the Sixers 109-101. Joel Embiid saying yesterday he has to do more. Do more. Uh, you know, uh, whatever the stats are, um, I got to do more. I got to... Uh, you know, I got one job to do, uh, just to carry us. Uh, you know, I'm going to need uh, my teammates to help me. Uh, but I got I to gotta do more. I got to take more shots. I got to be more aggressive. Uh, defensively, I got to help my teammates. Uh, uh, we, we all got to play hard, take care of the ball, uh, and do our job and follow the game plan. That was when the big man was asked about his double-double on the night, said, well, he's still got to do more than that. Kemba Walker of the Celtics saying that uh, Joel Embiid is a tough guy. He's no slouch. The Sixers are no slouches in that. What Boston Celtics have to do is take care of their leads. Hey, look, this is the NBA. This is the playoffs. Those guys over there are nowhere near slouches. Those are professionals, and they're really good. So, you know, that's a lot of it was them. A lot of it was them, you know, just making plays and, you know, just taking advantage of our mistakes. You know, we're gonna <clears throat> go back and you know watch film and just learn how we can get be- how we can get better, especially when we you know take leads like that. You know, which we we have to you know, we have to do better at um, you know taking care of our leads. The Celtics lost forward Gordon Hayward to a right ankle sprain in the fourth quarter. Celtics coach Brad Stevens said after game one, sprained ankle, don't know the severity, but he's clearly in pain and it looked like it had some swelling already. That's my medical review. Hayward reportedly got an MRI on his ankle later Monday to determine the severity of that injury. The Clippers capping things off in the evening with a 118-110 win over the Mavs. Dallas center power forward Chris Daps Porzingis was ejected from that NBA game for the first time and during his playoff debut on Monday, prompting plenty of backlash from fans and players alike. Przingis automatically ejected after being called for a second technical foul with 9-10 remaining in the third quarter. Double technical fouls, Przingis and Morris. That's Przingis' second. He's been ejected. Wow. Whoa! Wow. Whoa. Przingis ejected at the 9-10 mark of the third quarter. Oh, my goodness. Whoa, yes, that was the collective uh, thought of everybody watching that game yesterday. Referees gave Porzingis and Clippers forward Marcus Morris senior double technicals following a confrontation that began when Morris wrapped his arm around Luka Doncic. Uh, Porzingis confronted Morris, and they were separated after Morris shoved Porzingis. Uh, Porzingis asked about it afterwards, saying, I saw him getting into Luka's face, and I didn't like that. He ended up having 14 points and six rebounds in 20 minutes before his ejection. Uh, the call against Porzingis, it got some backlash on Twitter, including by two members of the exclusive 30,000-point club, I can read, including Lakers superstar LeBron James, who tweeted out, man, that was bogus as hell, man. Come on, man. And then also retired Mavs legend Dirk Nowitzki, just saying on Twitter that ejection is super soft. Mavs owner Mark Cuban, though. He was silent yesterday, making a business decision there. He's accumulated plenty of fines for criticizing officiating during his tenure of more than two decades, seven figures worth, actually. So he probably made a business decision and declined to comment on Porzingis' ejection when commented by ESPN yesterday. Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle Gerald McCoy ruptured his right quadriceps tendon during the first padded practice of training camp on Monday. He'll undergo season-ending surgery, according to team executive vice president Stephen Jones. McCoy was hurt during individual drills, unable to put weight on his leg after he was examined by the team's medical staff. Before heading into the locker room, he attempted to take some steps unassisted, but could not. An MRI later revealed the tear. Ed Werder, an ESPN NFL reporter, on what Gerald McCoy told him about his injury. Gerald McCoy's played 7,000 snaps in the NFL. 
as a defensive tackle. That's the second most in the league. I had a chance after he was diagnosed with his season-ending injury to reach out to him through a text, and he responded with a very self-aware 12-sentence reply. He said that he was beyond excited to play for the Cowboys, recognized what he called the amazing opportunity in front of this team. He vowed to continue to be available as a mentor to the young players on the defense to, quote, get this team where it needs to be. And he put his season-ending injury into real perspective, downplaying his misfortune when compared to the struggles of people harmed by the pandemic and struggling for the social justice issue. And then he finally said, hey, anybody who knows me knows I embrace a challenge. And he said in all caps, challenge accepted. I will be back and better than ever. Let's get it. The Cowboys signed McCoy to a three-year, $18 million deal in free agency as part of their rebuild process uh, up front of their D-line. It also included the additions of Alden Smith, Don Terry Poe, and uh, lately Everson Griffin, who has yet to practice but has been cleared by a COVID-19 testing protocol and can get with the team uh, soon. Meanwhile, Ezekiel Elliott, he has an update on his health after recovering from COVID-19. I mean, I feel good. Uh, yeah, I got COVID maybe two months ago. Uh, I didn't really didn't have any symptoms. I mean, I, I probably felt like a cough, you know, heavy breathing for two days. But other than that, pretty normal. This quarantine. Just doing well now. The Kansas City Chiefs, who previously announced they plan to sell tickets for home games this year, said they would have about 16,000 fans in attendance for the September 10th season opener against the Houston Texans at Arrowhead Stadium. Chiefs announced Monday they would limit the attendance for early season games to 22% of stadium capacity. So with Arrowhead's attendance last year listed at just over 72,000, close to 73,000, 22% capacity is just over 16,000 tickets. The Chiefs said they would adjust attendance at home games later in the season depending on conditions. Uh, the Jaguars suffered another loss along their defensive line. Veteran end Aaron Lynch told them on Monday he is retiring for personal reasons. The 27-year-old is the sixth defensive lineman to either opt out, go on injured reserve, or retire since July 31st. Lynch's retirement comes one day after veteran end and tackle Rodney Gunter said he was stepping away from the game because of a heart problem. Lynch had 20 sacks over six seasons with the 49ers and Chicago Bears. He signed a one-year contract worth over just $1 million with the Jaguars in March. The Washington football team hired Jason Wright as team president, making him the first black team president in NFL history and only the fourth former player to ascend to that role. And he spoke yesterday about the culture change that is happening in Washington. There was fear and trembling in thinking about this, but ultimately I saw these as opportunities and I saw them as opportunities um, because of the conversations that I had with the Snyders in the lead up to, to being offered and accepting this role. Um, you know, we, we could have talked about business processes and policies and all sorts of stuff like that. But we talked about culture and values. Uh, they used words like inclusive culture, transparent culture, you know, trust, openness. And then I heard Coach Rivera espouse the same thing. And we had open dialogue about what that actually meant to put in an organization. We brainstormed together. And by the end of it, you know, we shared past failures, ways that we wanted to change. And we had a level of understanding that made us excited to work together. And so that changed the lens on all of this for me. They went from, you know, big obstacles that are still very difficult and things that are going to be challenging for us to take on. But they look like opportunities for me to unlock the great talent that exists on the business side by getting our culture right, um, by establishing a new identity that's a better way of us facing the community and the external world by having a new brand and name that embodies that. I mean, there's so much opportunity here. 
38-year-old Wright will focus on the business side of things and says he's looking to add more minority voices and different ideas to the organization. So huge congrats to him. Yesterday, Pete Carroll with a couple of updates on some players, including Jaron Reed and Puna Fours. Uh, worried about that D-line already, but especially that defensive tackle position. Not a lot of experience behind those two on the roster. Pete Carroll on Jaron Reed, his knee. I said it was a little sore from being overworked. Uh, yeah, Jay Reed, his knee was a little bit sore um, from the, the work. Really, we think he overworked a little bit. And um, all the, the, the tests that we did, MRIs and all that stuff, you know, was, was really clear. So um, he was back out doing walkthrough again today. Looks like he could, he could likely practice. If, he need, if we needed to play a game this week, he could play. But uh, we're going to look after him. Again, it's so early in camp. We need to take care of these guys, make sure that nothing lingers. A couple of players Pete Carroll referenced as needing to slow down and Puna Ford and Jay Reed falling into that category but don't appear to have serious injuries, according to Pete. He was asked about the lack of experience at D-tackle behind those two players. He said, hey, that's awesome. Shockingly, I know, positivity from Pete. But uh, that he feels great about Brian Monet and also to Marcus Christmas, the former sixth-round pick, that getting him some reps and some time there. He also mentioned LJ Collier and Rasheem Green as possible options to rotate into some three-tech as well as them playing five-tech. Chris Carson, uh, meanwhile, is good to go. He is back from dealing with um, some family issues, really difficult family issues. But now he's ready to go, not being hampered by his injury. Yeah, that was the doc said that all along that he was going to be fine. He really is is in tip top shape, and and uh, he had a real difficult family uh, uh, issue that they had to deal with, and and um, so we we needed to give him all the time he needed. Uh, so. Um, but he, he looked great yesterday, and the couple you know couple looks we had of him, he's really explosive, and you know everybody was really fired up to get Chris back out there. Also, another player just creating some awe moments yesterday would be All Pro Safety Jamal Adams, uh, and I loved in his interview with Danny and Gallant, you should listen to the full thing at 710sports.com, but. He had a little comment back for former defensive coordinator uh, Greg uh, Williams back over with the Jets talking about how he's not going to get bored on this, Steve. <laughs> man, yeah, yeah, Greg. G-Dub, man, he definitely misses me, man, and uh, I, I would have to say that um, a lot of them uh, miss me over there. But, man, I don't think I'm going to get bored, man, winning. So that's how I look at it, man. So I'm going to be all right. In reference to Greg's comment that he might get bored, with the simplicity of the Seahawks defense, Jamal Adams saying, I don't think he's going to get bored winning. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Remember, 710's uh, two-a-days Seahawks coverage continues today, so keep it tuned right here all day on 710 ESPN Seattle.